Okay. Welcome to Progressive News Network uh, on Blog Talk Radio. This show is a combined show of Progressive News Network and its companion show, the Environmental Justice Report, both with me, Janine Moloff, the producer, news director, and host. First thing at the top of our show, I want to wish everyone who celebrates a happy and joyous Easter. I will also wish happy Ramadan to my Muslim brothers and sisters, and of course, happy Passover to my Jewish brothers and sisters, of which I am one. Uh, We always welcome diverse religious experiences, or none at all, uh, as long as you're wishing things like kindness and tolerance, um, proselytizing, however, is never welcome here. Uh, And you can guess who I'm talking to. So let's get on with our show this Easter Sunday. Uh, We're covering a story that is very, shall we say, un-Christ-like. This past week, if you saw the advert, the GOP, in other words, Republicans in Tennessee, expelled Well, I said they expelled three members for speaking. They actually expelled two of the members. Both were young black men. The third member was an older white woman who escaped being uh, ousted by apologizing, though she does stand with her two uh, counterparts. So this week, the Tennessee State Legislature expelled two Democrats. The last one, she escaped it narrowly. All three of these Democratic reps, however, had the audacity to use their First Amendment free speech rights in the chambers, joining a peaceable protest against the scourge of gun violence. And this was in light of the most recent school shooting in Nashville. Uh, And as I said, this protest was a week after the latest school shooting, which killed three children and three adults in Nashville at a Christian elementary school. Uh, apparently, the state legislature has as their excuse a clause in the state constitution. I believe it's actually uh, Article 2, Section 12. I looked it up. And it permits such expulsions for what they very vaguely call disorderly conduct. Uh, I'm going to discuss this attack on democratic rule in some depth. During this broadcast, I'm also going to discuss the latest defense on unlimited gun rights coming from Turning Point USA's clueless mouthpiece, Charlie Kirk. Apparently, Kirk believes that the deaths of innocent children in school just happens to be the price that we have to pay for unlimited gun rights, according to his view of the Second Amendment. And we're also going to begin our new segment. I had the advert earlier this week, which I call My Little Margie. Uh, And that's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Again, My Little Margie, in case you don't recall, was this show that I think some of us watched as children on rerun. And it was about the hapless adventures of this young woman in the 1950s who lived with her daddy. And, you know, once Margie, every time Margie wanted to get a little bit of independence, She'd get herself into trouble, and then you go, oh, my little Margie. I mean, talk about condescending, right? But in this instance, uh, applied to Marjorie Taylor Greene, it seems quite apropos. Uh, My little Margie, or as I call her, MTG, you have to sit down for this one. She actually had the gall to compare 
the legal case against Donald Trump to the likes of Nelson Mandela, and she went there. Jesus. Okay, so we also have a new initiative. I'm sorry, we also have some new initiates into my deplorable list of infamy, as well as the coveted Jackass of the Week Award. This week, it actually happens to be the same person for all three categories. So let's move on with our show. Okay? So the first actual, um, excuse me, I'm sorry. The first source I have comes from Salon. And what you have to remember is this. There was, you have to understand the context, all right? About a week, week and a half after the latest school shooting at, at a Christian elementary school in Nashville, the children of Tennessee, the children of Nashville, they had a protest. They went to the state capitol, and there were three Democrats that joined their protest on the floor. It was a peaceable protest. And there, there were three of them. Two were young, two young black men, and one was a white woman. And let's see, now I'm looking up their names right now. Yeah, here they are. So the three Democrats that joined this, you could call it Children's Crusade, are State Representatives Justin Jones, State Representative Justin Pearson, and State Representative Gloria Johnson. They've been called the Tennessee Three by progressive activists. Now, they joined this peaceful protest and as a reward for daring to stand up to the blatant racism in Tennessee. They were uh, the GOP who has a a supermajority in that house voted to expel two of them, namely Justin Pearson and uh, Justin, um, keeping the names wrong, I'm sorry, Jones. Simple name like Jones and I get it wrong, right? Um, The third one, she escaped it because she apologized. But that was their reward uh, because the Republicans, their excuse was it was disorderly conduct and broke the House rules. But the truth of the matter is they hated the content of their speech. Now, to those of you that say, well, that's unconstitutional. Well, of course it is. All right. It says Congress will make no law. But once again, we're going to get into that. All right. So there's a piece here from Salon written by Amanda Marcotte, a wonderful journalist. It was published April 7th, and the headline is Tennessee 3 minus 1 expelled. Republicans remove all doubt that they oppose democracy. And the subheadline is their expulsion is a petty act of revenge from Republicans who refuse to accept the will of the voters. Keep in mind, this was in response to a peaceable protest by children who want the right to go to school without having to risk their lives because some Looney Tune mass shooter wants to murder children. That's it. Okay. So, again, there were children's protests. This goes back to something new about children's protests. That's the thing. It just hasn't been covered. So, for instance, you know, in the early 20th century, Mother Jones, who was an avowed unionist, led an army of children to protest. Guess what? Child labor. We need Mother Jones again now. But now, uh, there was, according to this, and I'm reading straight from the article now, quote, a sea of children 
some elementary school age have repeatedly flooded the Capitol, in other words, in Tennessee, to demand better gun safety laws after a recent school shooting left six people murdered, three of whom were small children. Gun deaths of children have climbed 50% in the past two years, making it the number one cause of death for people under 18. Okay, And the sources come from the Tennessean.com as well as, I can't see this, Pew Research and KFF.org. Okay. So CBS Mornings co- covered it. There's a tweet here. And you see this picture, and it's filled with kids. And this is from CBS Mornings. It says, in Nashville, the killing of three children and three adults at a Christian school led to another huge protest at the state capitol as students walked out of class to call for tighter gun laws. Okay. Now, these were kids, but apparently the idea of children telling the adults, we don't want to die just because we went to school that day, is just too much for Republicans in Tennessee to handle. Uh Keep in mind also, according to, let's see, it's documented by Axios.com, there's a strong majority of Tennessee parents that also, quote, want red flag laws and background checks. Now, those of you that don't know much about this whole gun violence thing, a lot of people assume, well, of course you have to do a background check to get a gun, right? Wrong. That's what they're talking about in terms of the gun show loophole. I mean, I see signs for gun shows in my area all the time. Just a little cardboard sign, right? If you go to a gun show, it doesn't matter if you're a felon, nothing. Okay, it's private owners selling to private people. There's no background check, nothing. So, yeah, you could be a mass murderer and buy an AR-15 with plenty of high-velocity bullets at your local gun show. This is why people are angry. But the idea that these Republicans in Tennessee would have to face, not just their own constituents, but the babies of those constituents. That that was too much. So the Republican Speaker of the House is a man named Cameron Sexton. Now, this man is really galling, okay? I I just want to smack him. That's how angry he makes me. According to WSMV.com, as well as several others, the Republican, quote, the Republican Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, compared the protests, which caused no injuries or property damage, as, quote, equivalent, maybe worse, end quote, of the insurrection at the National Capitol on January 6th. Okay, end quote. Think about that. These children that that went into the state capitol in Tennessee, they had a peaceable protest right there. They were shouting slogans. They had signs. Uh, If they were teenagers, they had acne. If they were younger than that, you know, maybe they had they they had to worry about whether or not they would lose recess that day. I know I'm being a little ridiculous, but that's it. No property was damaged. No windows were broken. No weapons were there. No violence of any type. None. But That was too much because, again, these Republicans hated the content of their speech. 
And so what did Cameron Sexton, the Speaker of the House in Tennessee, the Tennessee House Representatives, he compared this children's crusade, this, these children, these babies, lifting their voices to say, we don't want to die just because we went to school that day, compared it to the insurrectionists of January 6th who went hunting for humans, who erected uh, working gallows, who were screaming, hang Mike Pence, who wanted to commit multiple murders that day. And Cameron Sexton had the gall to compare these children raising their voices to the murderous insurrectionist of January 6th that, as far as I'm concerned, are committing treason. There is no comparison. See, when you make a statement like that, Mr. Sexton needs to understand, he needs to actually have evidence, which he clearly does not have. Now, I made several calls to Mr. Sexton this week, and of course, and I left messages, never answered. He doesn't think he has to. Okay? Now, during this, three representatives, three Democrats joined the children. And you can imagine, if you're a kid and there's cops around, it has to be a little scary. These kids were joined by three adults who had the presence of mind to say, you know what, these babies are shaming us, they're telling the truth. And those were two young black men, Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, as well as an older white woman, Representative Gloria Johnson. They've been called the Tennessee Three. Um, And because they joined them, they were accused of breaking the state legislature's sacred decorum rules because they chanted alongside these babies. Now, I'll tell you that Gloria Johnson was not actually expelled expelled because she apologized. Um, I wouldn't have apologized. I would have told him to shove it. But anyway, she did. So let's move on here. This is really a perfect example of the lawlessness coming from the GOP. The Republicans, in case you don't know what the GOP is. Uh, again, I believe it's uh, Article 2, Section 12 of the Tennessee State Constitution that has this decorum rule where they bar disorderly conduct. Although they don't really define what constitutes disorderly conduct. You know, it's very subjective, very vague. And, you know, this particular aspect of the state constitution has rarely been used. Okay? But it was used against these people, definitely. Now, uh, there's a tweet here, CNN, uh, a, a CNN reporter asked Representative Gloria Johnson, she was the one that was not expelled, uh, why she thought there was a difference between her outcome and Representative Justin Jones and, and Justin Pearson. And she basically said, quote, I'll answer your question. It might have to do with the color of our skin. Now I'm going to play this and see if it, you guys can hear it. Basically, she's accusing her colleagues of racism, which is quite obvious. Now, they had other Republicans to get up to shame these, the Tennessee Three. Like, for instance, you had Russ, uh, you have this one representative, Andrew Farmer, who is a Republican from Sevierville, and you know, the way he talks to these Democrats is so. So juvenile. Okay, let's see if you can hear this. 
This is from the Tennessee Holler. I'm going to play the tweet. Hopefully you can hear it. If not, I'll read it to you because it's kind of hard to tell. So there we go. Wait a minute. I have to. What's going on here? I'm having a problem here with the volume here. Okay, here we go. Okay, I'm going to start over. Okay, so I'm not going to play the whole thing because basically uh, Andrew Farmer is claiming that the Tennessee Three threw a temper tantrum and that they just wanted attention. They're getting it now. Uh, Again, he couldn't have been more condescending if he tried. Would he have spoken? Would he have spoken that way to a white man? No. No, I sincerely doubt it. Would he have spoken that way? To, he, he's fine speaking to young black men that way or a woman. That's obvious. Um, so that's part of what's going on here, too. Let me go back here now. Um, you have to understand something. This was an excuse to basically terrorize and silence any progressives that dare to stand up for democracy itself, it's quite clear that the GOP of Trump despises democracy. They want, you know, they basically want rights for themselves, but not for the rest of us, okay? Um, and again, you know, this what happened in Tennessee is, according to the Salon article, part of a larger trend where Republicans are just blatantly just voicing their opposition to democracy, unapologetic. Uh, You have another example here where, according to this article, uh, quote, Republicans in Oklahoma censured their non-binary Democratic colleague last month for aiding a protest at the state capitol. And that is as documented by, I can't see that. I'm so glad when I get my new glasses, APnews.com. Okay. You have another instance In Florida, no shock there, where Democratic, quote, in Florida, Democratic state lawmakers were charged this week with trespassing on the state capitol for protesting Republicans' newly passed six-week abortion ban. And that's as documented by AP News as well. I'm going to read that last one about Florida. Quote, in Florida, Democratic state lawmakers were charged this week with trespassing on the state capitol after protesting Republicans' newly passed six-week abortion ban, end quote. Now, if they are state lawmakers who have business, they, they've been appointed, they've, they've won elections to actually serve in the state capitol, how are they protesting? How, I mean, how are, they, how are they trespassing illegally if they have business there in the first place? That makes no sense. But, again, one of the statements in this article by Amanda Marcotte is, quote, Republicans see the voters as an enemy to be defeated, end quote. And I agree. Okay? So, again, you know, when Trump was still in office and he was fighting the results of 2020, he attempted this coup now known as the January 6th insurrection. And, and, you know, he had, according to the article, he hid behind a lot of conspiracy theories. You know, the election was stolen. Newsflash, it wasn't. Um, but this, he did all that to basically have the convenience of uh, a premise, you know, a disguise of democracy, even though he doesn't believe in it. Uh, but now that's no longer the case. Republicans are blatantly saying they don't believe in democracy. 
According to this article, again, quote, just last week when debating a bill that would make it easier for legal voters to cast ballots in Minnesota, Republican State Representative Matt Bliss complained that the bill, quote, brings us closer to a democracy, which you know, that's not a good thing, end quote. And that is as documented by Salon.com. Again, when I cite something on this program, it's documented. So here we have another Republican just saying, well, we don't want democracy. It gets worse. Uh, This past Tuesday, we had progressives had a win in um, Wisconsin. Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge Janet Protasiewicz beat the the Trump-endorsed candidate Dan Kelly for, you know, a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Now, this race drew national attention because, according to the article, quote, democracy in Wisconsin is on the line, end quote. Now, excuse me, um, and that was as documented by Salon.com. Now, here's what happened. Um, Let me kind of scroll down here. Even though she won, and people are getting excited that she'll get a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, mind you, she won by a 10-point margin, okay? And she campaigned promising, quote, to restore democracy to the state, end quote. But she might not ever get a chance to be seated because Republicans in the state legislature are already working on trying to impeach Protasiewicz, Um and that is as documented by salon.com. Now, mind you, she hasn't taken office yet, all right? And my understanding of impeachment of anybody is they actually have to commit an offense before you can impeach them, all right? They have to be in office first. But they are trying to push impeachment before this, before this judge even takes office, at least at the state level. Um, you have a Republican assemblyman named Dan Nodal who's making noises about corrupt lawmakers, Um, you know, once again, why are they screaming Protasiewicz is pro-choice and pro-democracy? And nowadays the Republicans are being open, finally being honest about one thing, they hate democracy, okay? They want voting rights, but only for, I'll just say it, white, Christian, straight males. That's it. Okay, anyone else, forget it. So, you know, during the midterms, a lot of Democrats, kind of more centrist, they kind of steered clear talking about the threat to democracy that Republicans pose. Now, mind you, Republicans have been calling us socialist. Republicans have been calling us uh, groomers and pedophiles. But centrist Democrats won't fight back. Now, these progressives will. The fact is, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, perfect example. She calls everybody groomer. And I've said on this show many times, if anybody is stupid enough to call someone like me a groomer, for instance, because I'm a progressive, I hope they have deep pockets because I wouldn't hesitate to lawyer up and sue the fuck out of them for slander, libel, and defamation, period. Not only that, if they made any sort of police complaint without evidence, filing a false police report is a felony in most states. And yes, I would press criminal charges. I won't play with them. But this is what it is. You know, Republicans despise democracy. And so this is 
this is happening all over the country. Make no mistake about it. You know, the 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 band-aid has been ripped off. Okay, the facade is gone. Make it just is. Um, so this is what's happening. That's the Tennessee three, and we're gonna move on here. Okay, now this has some ramifications for the entire country. What happened in Tennessee the other day? So here's a piece in Politico, hardly a bastion of liberal thought, and it was written by Jeff Greenfield this, just this past week. The headline is, the Tennessee expulsion is a glimpse of the future. And the subheadline is, a legislative supermajority can do what it likes. Now, mind you, I've lived in a small town, for instance, in St. Louis County, namely Overland, Missouri, for many years now. And I can tell you that a lot of these local officials really believe that once they're in office, they can write a law to do anything they bloody well please. They really fail to comprehend that there are constitutional limits and that they may not write laws that violate the Bill of Rights, but they do it anyway. So this is from Politico. And again, you know, I'll read the first paragraph here. Quote, Tennessee Republicans really went there. Despite the outcry, the GOP-controlled state legislature expelled two Democrats Thursday for engaging in a boisterous protest against gun violence. But the key lesson out of Nashville is not what did or did not happen in the chamber. It's another reminder of what it means for a legislature to gain a supermajority, enabling it not only to dominate legislative matters, but to deploy overwhelming power more broadly, even over the other branches of government, end quote. Okay. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, in virtually every state, each house of the legislature is the judge of its members. The U.S. Constitution similarly gives each house of Congress the same power. Members can be reprimanded, censured, fined, stripped of committee assignments, and expelled for a wide variety of conduct, though this sanction is rarely applied, end quote. Now, understand this. What they did to representatives, their names are Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, what they did, they not only expelled these two members, but they also disenfranchised the constituents elected by these two members. Make no mistake about it. Um, now, keep in mind, uh, these things are rarely used. Keep in mind, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, you know, clearly is, in my opinion, a neo-Nazi, who has attacked democracy itself, who has threatened other members with violence. Yeah, she was stripped of committee assignments by Speaker Pelosi, then Speaker Pelosi. She wasn't expelled from office, even when she openly advocated for succession. She called it her national divorce. That's succession, okay? When you do that, you've broken your oath of office. She automatically, every member should have been forced to vote to expel her whether they like her position or not, because, again, that is breaking your oath of office. You're waging war against the United States, period. They didn't expel her. But Representative Justin Jones and Representative Justin Pearson were expelled because they chanted with some children who just didn't want to die going to school because some Looney Tune with an AR-15 felt like shooting the place up. That's it. 
And because of that, they broke decorum and their con- it was, quote, disorderly conduct. Now, what I want to know is this. Why hasn't anybody in Tennessee, any smart lawyer, challenged that part of the Tennessee Constitution, that rule that allows, uh, that allows the legislature to expel members for uh, disorderly conduct? I can understand expelling members if they go to war against the United States or their state. I can understand expelling members if, for instance, they, you know, advocate for things like slavery or child labor, whatever, advocate for things that are clearly against the Bill of Rights. But disorderly conduct? What, they didn't raise their pinky finger when they drank their freaking tea? Come on now. Or, what, disorderly conduct, they belch too loudly? That's how absurd it is. Plus, it's not even defined. You know, usually when there is some sort of a statute or regulation, each alleged infraction is clearly defined by criterion that must be met in order for that infraction to be held legitimate. Okay, but that clearly did not happen here. So this is what we're talking about here, and this is not the first time this happened. According to this political article, uh, the entire history of the United States House of Representatives, here I'm going to read straight from this, quote, in the entire history of the U.S. House, only five members have been expelled. The last Ohio Democratic Representative, James Trafficant, was removed after being convicted convicted of bribery, racketeering, and tax evasion and didn't have the decency to step down on his own. That was a legitimate removal. I'm fine with that. Um, goes on to say here, quote, the Tennessee House last expelled a member in 2016 when Jeremy Durham was ousted for rampant sexual misconduct. Okay, that's fine too. And it goes on to say, quote, 36 years earlier, Robert Fisher was booted for soliciting a bribe, end quote. That's fine also. Now, mind you, that wouldn't happen anymore because since Citizens United, bribery is technically legal. It just is. You know, is it unethical? Yes. Is, but since bribery is technically legal and called free speech, but free speech isn't free speech, then, you know, basically they've legalized influence peddling. Okay, but here's the other thing, too. This article goes on to say, but what if a legislature decides to exercise power just because it can? Can it expel or refuse to seat a member for purely political reasons? Once upon a time, it seems so. In the fevered nationalism of World War I, Congress refused to seat socialist Victor Berger after he won a seat in 1918. Okay. He ran again in 1919 and won again, and Congress again refused to seat him. At the same time, the New York State Assembly expelled all five socialists on general grounds of disloyalty, end quote. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, this article I'm dropping down here, quote, a few decades later, more than a few decades later, anyway, there was a similar attempt, quote, to ban an elected legislator um, that was rebuffed. Julian Bond, a key civil rights leader, had been elected to the Georgia House. But in 1966, the legislature voted by an overwhelming margin not to seat him on the grounds that he had opposed the war in Vietnam and expressed sympathy for draft resistors. 
But later that year, a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Bond's First Amendment rights had been violated and ordered him seated. He served for more than 20 years in the Georgia House and then the state Senate. You have to understand something here. The First Amendment stands, especially the free speech part, with only a few exceptions. You know, you can't incite people to violence. You, you know, everybody's familiar with the whole idea you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. Um, you can state ignorant things, but if you state things that are slanderous, libelous, or defamatory, then you can be sued. But government can't come after you. All right? That's the difference. Uh, in other words, these legislatures, they wrote, like in Tennessee, they wrote something into their state constitution against this, quote, disorderly conduct, which is a clear and egregious violation of the First Amendment free speech provision. Just is. Because they can use that as an excuse, because maybe they raised their voice a bit, because the real objection wasn't the way the speech was given, but the objection was the content of your speech, which you can't do. You can't censor somebody because of the content of your, their speech. You just can't. So Marjorie Taylor Greene can say all the ignorant things she wants to, but I also have the right of rebuttal. Make no mistake about it. But this happened in Tennessee because they were sent, they were expelled because of the content of their speech. And also because they were young men of color, pure racism. Okay? So keep in mind, the two Tennessee Democrats, Representatives Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, what they did, there was no criminal or immoral conduct on their part. They just issued mere statement of opinions. Um, according to the article, quote, it involves conduct, encouraging demonstrations and bringing a bullhorn and posters to the state house floor. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Let me, let me talk. Let me go back here. The quote is, the case of the two Tennessee Democrats involves neither criminal nor immoral conduct, nor the mere statement of opinions. It involves conduct, encouraging demonstrations and bringing a bullhorn and posters to the state house floor that violates the rules of the House. Still, the legislature has never imposed before so severe a penalty for rules violations, and over the past few years, a number of legislators have kept their posts even after being charged with serious sexual misconduct. So what the writer is trying to say here is very simply, what the two Tennessee Democrats did was not criminal, it was not immoral, and the fact is the excuse of disorderly conduct is that they brought a bullhorn, they were loud, in other words, disorderly conduct, um, but that the punishment of expelling them from office was far too severe. They could have just censured them. That would have been, I suppose, legitimate, but they expelled them, and again, going further than this, not only affects the two young men who were expelled from office, but all their constituents that were effectively disenfranchised. Their choice was said, no, nope, you're gone. So there were two things happening here. Under the guise of disorderly conduct was just pure nonsense. Um, they were expelled because, one, the Republicans hated the content of their speech, and they were black. That's it. Now, the the actual rule that uh, basically says no disorderly conduct would have been legitimate if the penalty would have been censure or a small fine. 
that particular rule should never allow for expulsion, therefore disenfranchisement of those constituents. That's the illegitimate part as well. Okay. So, you know, this writer in Politico saying, yes, every liberals are celebrating the election of the new Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. Um, they really need to look at this, this power grab. And, you know, as I've said before, as much fun as it is to blame everything on Trump, who is the ringleader, he lit the fuse. It was always there, you know, to say, well, mainstream Republicans aren't that bad. Yes, they are. Mainstream, Repu- mainstream Republicans have always been that bad, going all the way back to Richard Nixon. You know, I remember when Nixon was still in office and I was in high school. You know, he had an official enemies list the, and talked about the idea that an American president who have an official enemies list of fellow Americans is obscene. Absolutely obscene. And I remember, and I'm kind of ranting today, that when I was in high school, you know, you, you have in the yearbook, you know, this thing, you know, basically where your, your pet peeves and then your greatest uh, ambition in life. I think I was a sophomore at the time, and I put as my greatest ambition to be number one on the Nixon, Nixon enemies list. My mother had a field day. She's like, Janine, you know, they could take that seriously. Let them. Okay, let them. So once again, there's this pattern here because Republicans clearly view democracy in such contemptuous ways. It's disgusting. Okay? And all this really begs the question, as I said before, can state-level legislatures pass laws which violate the Bill of Rights? give you a hint. Historically, they already have. But can they legitimately do it? No. So, once again, the real reason that Republicans are doing all this, there's no pretense here, okay? They look for any excuse to remove a Democrat from office or to take their power away, especially if they are progressive, all right? The Democrats that don't fight back, they can stay put because they are doing good cop to the Republicans, bad cop. But all this is really about the fact that Republicans – hate diverse liberal democracy and let's face it especially if they are like marjorie taylor green self-avowed white christian nationalists they want a neo-slave state that's it make no mistake about it there is no uh, you know i'm I'm not even going to mince words here okay now what happened to these reps yes it is an unconstitutional attack and an egregious attack on First Amendment rights, especially free speech, but also the right to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Um, There is another piece here that we're going to talk about here, and it ran in Alternet as well as a new uh, publication called the New Civil Rights Movement. So give me a second here. Alrighty, and I'm looking at the one from Alternet here. Uh, It was a piece written by David Badash. I hope I'm saying his name right, who is also with a group called the New Civil Rights Movement, published the 7th of this month. And the headline reads very simply, quote, illegal. Ex-U.S. attorney says Tennessee House Republicans expelling two Democrats violates First Amendment. Of course it does. All right. So keep in mind, the House Republicans that did this were led by Speaker Cameron Sexton. Now, 
I did a little looking, a little uh, investigation into Sexton. He, you know, he's a trumper through and through. Make no mistake about it. Um, so basically, I'm just going to read the first paragraph here. Quote, Tennessee House Republicans, led by Speaker Cameron Sexton, voted to expel two black Democratic representatives on Thursday, but also voted against the expulsion of a white Democrat. The actions of that right-wing supermajority legislative body are illegal and violate the First Amendment, argues former U.S. Attorney Joyce Vance. And here's a quote from Vance, who is also a professor of law and a news contributor on MSNBC and NBC. Vance said, quote, what happened in Tennessee on Thursday was outrageous and stupid and petty, and then the legislature went on to advertise for racism. It was also illegal. Okay. She goes on to say, it shouldn't take long for the next stage of this to play out in the courts, but that doesn't excuse the fact that it happened in the first place, end quote. And she's right. See, that should have been the first thing right there. This is obviously racism, but it's also a, an agree, it, it, they're trying to break the First Amendment. Make no mistake about it. You know, this is the neo-Confederacy. You know, so many Americans are afraid, oh, gosh, we could break out into another civil war. I maintain the civil war never really ended. It has continued, and it morphed into the Republican Party. First, it morphed into the Dixiecrats of the Democratic Party, and then with the uh, rise of Reagan, it switched. Okay. And then it became the Republicans. Okay. So again, this past Thursday evening, the foul Republicans of the Tennessee House under the dubious leadership of Cameron Sexton, you know, racist extraordinaire, um, again, my opinion, they voted to expel two state reps, Representative Justin Jones and Representative Justin Pearson, who both happen to be black. Now, the vote to expel the third one, Representative Gloria Johnson, who was white, failed. Now, all three of these people were charged with violating the precious house decorum. Okay, the house word, well, uh, I mean, the house rules. And what did they do? They stood in the well. And when they talk about standing in the well, they mean, you know, when you watch on TV and you see like different legislatures and people stand up and then they go to a microphone kind of in this carved out uh, empty area in the middle where the microphone is, that's well. Okay. So basically, they, what they did wrong is they stood in the well and they spoke in support of all these child, pro, uh, child protesters, children, um, a, a week earlier who came to the House to demand that lawmakers enact some moderate gun control policies right after the uh, shooting at the Christian church in Nashville. Okay? That's it. Now... Joyce Vance, who again, U.S. Attorney, that means, you know, she worked for the Department of Justice. She pointed out the case of the late Julian Bond. Julian Bond was a black leader of the civil rights movement. He was also a co-founder of the Southern Poverty Law Center. God bless him. He passed away in 2015. We lost a giant. And what she, what Vance wrote is, quote, oh, I'm sorry, let me go on. Julian Bond also was a four-term member of the Georgia House of Representatives. Um, so once again, Vance wrote, quote, 
white members of the Georgia House challenged Bond's right to be seated, end quote, again, because he was against the Vietnam War. Now, since when is it illegal to, you know, express yourself? Since when, since when does the government have a right to uh, charge you for the content of your speech? They don't. Okay? And she pointed out this historic pattern that I talked about a few minutes ago. Now, Bond did win at the Supreme Court, and it was that that ruling that a lot of Trump-appointed judges hate and Trump hates, which is New York Times versus Sullivan. It was a unanimous Supreme Court decision in Bond's favor, uh, and it relied – I'm sorry, let me take that back. So – it, that case, Bond's case, relied on the First Amendment case of New York Times v. Sullivan. So I stand corrected. And basically it means that the court said that, quote, although a state may impose a requirement that legislators take an oath of allegiance, it cannot limit their capacity to express views on local or national policy, end quote. That's according so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. This is what Vance said, quote, let me read it again. So backtracking a little, make sure I'm really clear. Let me take a little drink of water here. You know, Joyce Vance, U.S. attorney, went back to the case of Julian Bond when the Georgia House refused to seat him after he won his election. And he, he finally did win at the Supreme Court, and his court case you know, relied on this, uh, on the uh, case New York Times v. Sullivan. So basically, here's what Vance had to say, quote, the unanimous Supreme Court decision in Bond's favor relied upon a famous First Amendment case, New York Times v. Sullivan, holding that although a state may impose a requirement that legislators take an oath of allegiance, it cannot limit their capacity to express views on local or national policy. Uh, she goes on to add, quote, debate on public issues should be uninhibited, robust, and wide open. Um, again, citing the decision in Sullivan. That's what the court wrote, end quote. So, again, according to Vance, the Supreme Court in New York Times v. Sullivan said it quite clearly that, quote, debate on public issues should be un uninhibited, robust, and wide open. So, the Tennessee House under Cameron Sexton, they're in clear violation not only of Supreme Court precedent, but they're in violation of the First Amendment, and very much so. Vance also pointed out to the ruling's conclusion and said the following uh, regarding the case of Julian Bond and the bigots refusing to seat him. Quote, legislators have an obligation to take positions on controversial political questions so that their constituents can be fully informed by them and be better able to assess their qualifications for office. Also so they may be represented in governmental debates by the person they have elected to represent them. We therefore hold that the disqualification of Bond from membership in the Georgia House because of his statement violated Bond's right of free expression under the First Amendment. End quote. Bam! Okay? That noise, that, that crashing noise you hear? Bye, Felicia! Okay? It, 
they're you know basically the Republicans in the Tennessee House, to put it bluntly, are full of shit. I said it. All right. So when all this was going on, Representatives Jones and Pearson really did speak very eloquently. And towards the end of the story, I'm going to actually read. Uh, I think it was what Pearson had to say. Let's see now. Let me. Yeah, Justin Pearson's speech. It's it's quite eloquent. All right. You know, these Republicans, they did not attempt to even hide their disdain, their contempt for these black men that they obviously considered, I'll use the old term, uppity. Okay. Now. Uh, Vance, Joyce Vance, again, former U.S. attorney, knows what she's talking about, um, has something to say, you know, about the racist element of this, too. Uh, And I'm going to read straight from this. Uh, Quote, reinforcing her allegations of obvious racism against the two now former lawmakers, Vance sums up her argument. Now, this is Vance's quote. Quote, a challenge to those members' First Amendment rights cannot be dressed up as a violation of decorum rules. It's still a violation of First Amendment rights. And when two black representatives are expelled while a white one narrowly avoids expulsion, no amount of dissembling can erase the obvious conclusion, end quote. And she's right. She's absolutely right. Okay? So... You know, the question is, should legislators, even at the national level or at the state level, should they be permitted to violate the Bill of Rights? Well, you know, the obvious answer is no. But they do it all the time. Now, let's go here. Give me a second here, folks. Is the next question, I'm giving a little background here. This is from Justia. Okay. And this is a legal citation regarding government restraint of content of expression. Okay? This is Justia, U.S. law. Again, I'm going to read straight from it. Because unlike Fox, unlike, uh, what is it, uh, uh, what, uh, first, unlike all those garbage, garbage conservative programs, we actually cite our sources here. Do I have a bias? Of course I do. But I also document. So, And when I'm wrong, I'll admit it. So this is from Justia, U.S. Law. I'm reading straight from this. <laughs> the quote is, from, is called, Government Restraint of Content of Expression. <clears throat> this is in the First Amendment. This is what it says. Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. It's right there. Basically what that means, especially regarding free speech, is that government can't pass laws regulating or uh, censoring speech, quote, because of its message, its ideas, its subject matter, or its content. Okay, and that comes from 1187. Let me go here. Uh, Well, you can look it up yourself, all right? It's right there. 
with all the lawyers that are in public office, you would think they would notice that, right? They don't notice it. They don't want to notice it. Okay, so let's go now. You can read it yourself. What I'm going to do now is read this very eloquent transcript, okay? Give me a second here. Um, Can't type today. All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Looking for the transcript. Here it is. All right, here is the transcript. This is from a publication called Facing South. Okay, and it's called Facing South, A Voice for a Changing South. They've been in existence for years. This is Representative Justin Pearson, his transcript of his speech, his response to all this. The title is, We Will Never Quit. And I'm just going to read exactly what this young man wrote because it's so incredibly eloquent. Um, I don't have kids, but if I did, I would be honored to call this young man a son. Seriously. Here we go. Representative Justin Pearson. This is before the vote to expel him. Quote, All glory and honor to God who makes all things possible, who takes the son of teenage parents, Kimberly Owens Pearson, and Jason C. Pearson, and brings him to an institution built by enslaved peoples. And all glory and honor to God, who brings those who have been marginalized and excluded into this place and tells them that you still have a voice, that you are still somebody, and that the movement for love and justice cannot be stopped because we've still got a heartbeat, because we've still got a movement for love that needs us. We've still got people who are calling us to act and to do something. To all you who still believe the best days for democracy are ahead, for all of you who still believe that our better days in Tennessee are ahead, I want to tell you that I still believe in you. And how? How is it that even now, amidst persecution on this Holy Week, after my own brother, Justin Jones, Representative Jones, gets expelled from the House, is it that we still have hope and faith and belief in the democracy of Tennessee? Faith and hope in the belief in the democracy of the United States of America. How is it that you still have hope, you descendant of enslaved people? How is it that you still have hope? Well, it's because even from the bottom of slave ships, my people didn't quit. Even in cotton fields and rice fields, my people didn't quit. Even when they were whipped and chained and told they had no name, my people didn't quit. Even when they incarcerated us, locked us up for a crack cocaine epidemic created by President Ronald Reagan to fund a war in South America, my people didn't quit. Even when they defunded our schools, separated us, and called us colored and white, even when they put us on lynching trees in the state of Tennessee, specifically in Shelby County, my people didn't quit. Even now, as our own brothers and sisters lay to rest because of the failure of people in positions of power to do something, because people are refusing to pass just laws to end the epidemic of gun violence in the state of Tennessee, my people have yet to quit. Even so, I'm sorry, and so even now, amidst this vote, 
amidst this persecution, I remember the good news. Hallelujah, Jesus. I remember that on Friday, the government decided that my Savior, Jesus, a man that was innocent of all crimes except fighting for the poor, fighting for the marginalized, fighting for the LGBTQ community, fighting for those who are single mothers, fighting for those who are ostracized, fighting for those pushed to the periphery, my Savior, my black Jesus. He was lynched by the government on Friday, and they thought they all, that all hope had been lost. All the outside it rained and it thundered, and everybody said everything was over. And it was some black women who stood at the cross. It was some black women who watched what the government did to that boy named Jesus. They were witnesses, as you have been witnesses to what is happening in the anti-democratic state of Tennessee. They were witnesses to what was going on. And I've got I got to tell you, it got quiet on Saturday. Yes, I tell you. It was a sad day on Saturday. All hope seemed to be lost. Representatives were thrown out of the state house. Democracy seemed to be at its end. Seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. But all that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last, but oh, good news, folks. We've got good news. This That Sunday always comes. Resurrection is a promise, and it is a prophecy. It's a prophecy that came out of the cotton fields. It's a prophecy that came out of the lynching tree. It's a prophecy that still lives in each and every one of us in order to make the state of Tennessee the place it ought to be. And so I've still got hope because I know we are still here and we will never quit. And that's his statement there. I can't improve on it. I mean, I'm not a Christian, but I can empathize and Again, I can't improve on his words of wisdom at all. Wow, that one got to me. It just did. You know, just when you think things can't get crazier, they do. So give me a second here. Just when you think things could get crazier, you have to understand. So I have a theory about these these gun rights nuts, but this is, next thing is about Charlie Kirk, who is the the head of the group Turning Point USA. Okay. Alrighty. Alrighty. Okay. So you know you gotta wonder about these Looney Tunes, right? You just do. Um, you also have to know something about the history of gun rights in this country, that it was based in racism, um, where basically for many decades it was illegal uh, for people of color to own guns. You know, when Representative Justin Pearson talked about the lynching tree, you know, a lot of whites don't understand what that is. You know, these racist these racist bastards would hunt down a black man claim they had committed a crime they had not committed and then they'd set out to murder them they would hang them by a rope by a tree they would hang them uh, from a tree until they died and then they would have they and their families would have picnics under the tree as the dead body swung seriously I, I wish I were making this up I'm not this is the depravity of racism. Make no mistake about it. This is the depravity of systemic racism. 
This is why they make such a big – they keep screaming critical race theory. What they're really talking about is they do not want children to find out the full truth of our history, but they need to. Because the black experience from slavery through Jim Crow to now is almost identical to the Jewish experience in Europe leading through not only the Spanish Inquisition, the pogroms in Russia, but through the Holocaust. Make no mistake about it. So now you have this privileged little brat named Charlie Kirk, who comes from a fairly affluent family. And keep in mind, Charlie Kirk, Kirk, I think he went to community college and then dropped out. So he's a college dropout, all right? But because he made friends with some rich people, he is the head of this organization called Turning Point USA. And it's that group that sponsors, you know, follow people like Candace Owens, for instance. Remember Candace Owens? That's a black woman. And she, her latest thing was that um, she didn't have a problem with Hitler because, you know, the problem with, you know, if you want to just make things run more efficiently, that was fine with Candace Owens. You know, the problem with Hitler, according to Candace Owens, was that, well, he wanted to send all that to other nations. Totally omitted the Holocaust. Totally omitted the fact that Hitler sponsored a genocide of over 11 million people. Some 6.5 million were Jews, but she didn't care about that. So Charlie Kirk is the head of that group. Now, when it comes to school shootings, uh, according there were several articles, Media Matters and all that. This one is from Alternet, written by Brandon Gage. The headline is, quote, and this is in reference to the school shootings, quote, it's worth it. Charlie Kirk calls school shootings a prudent deal to protect the Second Amendment. Yeah, right. Now, this article starts, and I'm going to read from a quote, right-wing Daily Wire commentator Charlie Kirk said at his Turning Points USA Political Action Committee faith conference on Wednesday that, and this was this past week, that the tens of thousands of annual firearm-related deaths in the United States are an acceptable price to pay in order for Americans to keep their Second Amendment constitutional right to bear arms, end quote. Now, think about that, friends. Daily Wire, so that's Ben Shapiro, okay? That's Matt Walsh, Charlie Kirk, uh, I think sometimes it's Tim Poole. Now, Ben Shapiro did get upset with Candace Owens when she made that Hitler remark, finally. But you know what? Little nebbish Ben Shapiro really should take a reality check because newsflash, once those bastards are done using you, and the same with Candace Owens, they're going to dump on you too. But that's another story. Um, You know, this author goes to some statistics. Uh, from the Gun Violence Archive, and there's a chart, okay? And the statistics are really quite sobering. Um, In 2022, deaths that were willful, malicious, and accidental, over 20,000. Suicides by gun, still pending. Injuries, willful, malicious, and accidental, over 38,000. Children killed or injured, age 0 to 11, almost 1,995. Teens, age 12 to 17, killed or injured, 5,157. 
mass shootings, 647. This is all just in 2022, nothing else. Okay? This is what we're talking about here. And this is from gun, the Gun Violence Archive. You can look it up yourself. Now, let's go on. All right. So, this is, um, this article was written, what did I say, March 6th, I mean, April 6th, just this past week, you know, after the last shooting at the Christian school in Nashville. Um, so, the Christian Covenant School in Nashville, okay? Uh, so, Derek Kirk was an attendee at a symposium called Freedom Night in America. And there was a caller, and the caller called in and said this, quote, How's it going, Charlie? I'm Austin. I just had a question related to Second Amendment rights. You saw the shooting that happened recently, and a lot of people are upset. But I'm seeing people who argue for the other side they want to take our Second Amendment rights away. How do we convince them that it's important to have the right to defend ourselves and all that good stuff, end quote? Now, Kirk... I'm just going to read it word for word. Here's what Kirk said, quote, The Second Amendment is not about hunting. I love hunting. The Second Amendment is not even about personal defense. That is important. The Second Amendment is there, God forbid, so that you can defend yourself against a tyrannical government. And if that talk scares you, wow, that's radical, Charlie. I don't know about that. Well, then, you have not really read any of the literature of our founding fathers. Number two, you've not read any 20th century history. You're just living in Narnia. By the way, if you're actually living in Narnia, you would be wiser than wherever you're living because C.S. Lewis was really smart. So I don't know what alternative universe you're living in. You just don't want to face reality. Governments tend to get tyrannical and that if people need an ability to protect themselves and their communities and their families, end quote. Okay, now, the writer of this article you know, once again, Brandon Gage pointed out a few discrepancies in what Mr. Kirk had to say. All right. Uh, again, there was a 2018 report in the Washington Post, and it highlighted several of the major ideas in our tenets in the Second Amendment, and they refute what Kirk claimed. Here they are. One, the founding fathers were devoted to the militia. Okay, you understand something. A militia has regulations. It's not, hmm, I think it's cool. I want to get a bunch of AR-15s and high-velocity bullets and just kind of shoot everything in sight. That's not what the Second Amendment says. Number two, the amendment's primary justification was to prevent the United States from needing a standing army. And number three, the authors of the Bill of Rights were not concerned with an individual or personal right to bear arms. Number four, the founding fathers were very concerned about who should or should not be armed. Okay? There were laws against certain people owning guns. And number five, 18th century Americans tolerated a certain amount of violence and instability as long as it came from other white Americans. Again, we're not living in the Wild West. You shoot a gun in the middle of, say, a baseball stadium, there's going to be a massive stampede. It's not the same thing as, you know, the gunfight is the okay corral. All right. Kirk went on to say the following, quote, this is Charlie Kirk. Now we must, now we must also be real. We must be honest with the population. 
Having an armed citizenry comes with a price, and that is part of liberty. Driving comes with a price. 50,000 50, 50, people die on the road every year. That's a price, end quote. That's what Kirk said. Uh, Kirk went – all right, so Kirk added, quote, you get rid of driving, you'd have 50,000 less auto fatalities. But we have decided that the benefit of driving, speed, accessibility, mobility, having products, services, is worth the cost of 50,000 people dying on the road, end quote. And then Kirk concluded with, so, quote, so we need to be very clear that you're not going to get gun deaths to zero. It will not happen. You could significantly reduce them through having more fathers in the home, by having more armed guards in front of schools. We should have an honest and clear reductionist view of gun violence, but we should not have a utopian one. Kirk goes on to say, quote, you will never live in a society when you have an armed citizenry and you won't have a single gun death. That is nonsense. It's drivel. But I am. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth to have a cost of, unfortunately, some gun deaths every single year so that we can have the Second Amendment to protect our other God-given rights. That is a prudent deal. It's rational. Nobody talks like this. They live in a complete alternate universe. So how then do you reduce? Again, Kirk continuing. Very simple. Kirk goes on to say, people say, oh, Charlie, how do you stop school shootings? I don't know. How did we stop school shootings? I'm sorry. How did we stop shootings at baseball games? Because we have armed guards outside of baseball games. That's why. How did we stop all the shootings at airports? We have armed guards outside of airports. How do we stop excuse me, all the shootings at banks? We have armed guards outside of banks. How did we stop all the shootings at gun shows? Notice there's not a lot of mass shootings at gun shows. There's all these guns, but because, because everyone's armed. If our money and our sporting events and our airplanes have armed guards, why don't our children, end quote. Now, the fact that Charlie Kirk's take on it is morally bankrupt is only part of the situation. All right? Apparently, Charlie Kirk has never taught. Well, he doesn't have a college degree, so he can't. I, was, I taught in the schools for 30 years. I dare, I dare anyone to figure out a way that you can have a class full of kindergartners or third graders or 10th graders and have the gun ready to go, but yet keep the kids safe from handling the gun. That's insanity. How is it that school shootings, when I was a kid, you never heard of a school shooting. I graduated high school in 1977. It did not exist. Were there fewer guns back then? No, there were not. There were not. Once again, how did that happen? It happened because we did have some reasonable gun laws. Okay? We just did. You know, once again, um, Newsweek quoted Charlie Kirk. You know, what he's basically saying is, you know, and here's another quote for it, quote, it's worth to have the cost, it's worth to have a cost of, unfortunately, some gun deaths every single year so we can have the Second Amendment. Now, Kirk's a father himself. How would he like it if some of those gun deaths were his own kids? Somehow I don't think he'd agree with it. You know, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what is the point of all this? Seriously. 
what is the point of all these gun rights? Think about it for a minute. You know, we have a history in this country where it was illegal for black people to own guns. We have a history in this country where it actually was illegal for immigrants to have guns. So how in the world, what, what, what are they really talking about? Well, this, there's no small, it, this is my opinion, but there's no small coincidence the same people that want unlimited gun rights are the same people that are neo-successionists, that are neo-confederates. They want to go back to the old days where only white Christian nationalist men had gun rights so that they can literally hunt the rest of us, terrorize the rest of us to their own delight. That's it. It has nothing to do with anything else. Nothing. And to pretend it does is absurd. Okay? All righty, so obviously now we come to the part of the show where we have several little awards, okay? Um, first of all, we have our Deplorables List of Infamy. And today, the Deplorables List of Infamy, it, it, today's, it really is a twofer, okay? Because guess what? Charlie Kirk has been added to the deplorable list of infamy. Apparently, he's fine with your child dying in a school shooting as long as its, you know, gun rights are respected. And again, for decades, we had schools that did not need armed guards. Just didn't. How, and we didn't have school shootings. How did that happen? Well, because we used to actually have reasonable gun laws. That was part of it. Okay? And if people did have a gun, it was a regular handgun, maybe a rifle. It was not an automatic weapon with high-velocity bullets. Bingo. wasn't assault weapons. In fact, there, in this country, I believe there used to be a ban on assault weapons, and that was lifted. Okay? That's what it's about. So... Charlie Kirk is added to our deplorables list of infamy. And then we have, again, <coughs> one of my favorites, our Jackass of the Week Award. It's a twofer, but here we go. Can, let's get this sound effect going. Brayon. Today's Jackass of the Week Award also goes to Turning Point's Charlie Kirk. He got a twofer. Who knew? Who knew? Okay, again, he got a twofer because, once again, he is making a direct appeal to white Christian nationalists who are also misogynists that they are the only ones that should have rights. You know, he's talking about basically a neo-Confederate, neo-Nazi state is what he's, what he's alluding to, in my opinion. You know, keep in mind, when Hitler wanted to uh, discriminate openly by law, keep in mind, everything Hitler did was technically legal. He passed all these laws, the Nuremberg Laws, and they were, where did Hitler get these ideas? From the Jim Crow South. 
Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. All righty. So now we come to, got to take a little drink here, our new segment, My Little Margie. Hopefully the music will be a little better this time. Give me a second here. Here we go. Okay, welcome to our new feature of My Little Margie. Okay, so, you know, basically, we have this new feature, and we talked about it earlier, you know, My Little Margie. You know, you have to look at this woman, and you realize, first of all, and this is satire. I have to get a little obvious for some people that might be a little too obtuse. This is satire. But, you know, you look at My Little Margie, and you realize, first of all, by what claptrap comes out of her mouth, right? Obvious, the woman's IQ does not hit the three digits. That being said, you have to look at this woman. Look at those guns. My God. You know, she's got guns like a dude. You know, is it roid rage? Is she taking testosterone? Hmm. Is little Margie barely trans? We don't know. What we do know, however, is look at that bra of hers. You know, it's enough that would make any Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal jealous. And so, again, this week, our little Margie did something that was so outrageous and, and stupid, it's beyond belief. This week, she compared, because, you know, Donald Trump was indicted, finally. She compared Donald Trump's indictment to the persecution of Nelson Mandela. And get this, Jesus, I kid you not. Um, so here's a quote. This is from USA Today. This is days before Easter, right? Uh Little Margie said, quote, Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Nelson Mandela was arrested serving time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was arrested and murdered by the Roman government. Okay. And she went on to say how you know, he's being persecuted by radical, corrupt governments. And it's beginning today in New York City, and I just can't believe it's happening. But I always support him. He's done nothing wrong, end quote. Unbelievable. Little Margie, you know, what can I tell you? You know, sweetums, you need need to go back to the doctor and get that – that little, you know, that little frontal lobotomy done, okay? It'll it'll make the, you know, the, the ouchie go away. But that's what she's talking about here. And she goes on to say uh, that, quote, President Trump will be found innocent. This witch hunt will end. We will not tolerate it. We will not tolerate the hate of the left. God bless America. God bless Trump. God bless MAGA. Oh, okay. Uh, Excuse me. I have to go to the restroom and hurl on that one. Ah! Please forgive me for saying that vile statement, but this is a direct quote. Okay. Um, And then, you know, she goes on. She responds. Margie responds to the New York mayor, you know, Eric Adams. He warned her and other protesters outside of the, you know, the, the, the arraignment in New York City, you know, 
to just behave, all right? You can peaceably protest. You can say any insane thing you want, but you can't get violent. And what was Margie's response? Quote, as you can see, I'm standing here peacefully protesting, but you called me out by name while you allow crime in your streets. Yeah, I kid you not. Okay, so once again, we know that Marge, our little Margie is delusional, comparing Donald Trump to Jesus or Nelson Mandela. Good Lord. Uh, you know, once again, sweetie, dear little Margie, you know, we know that, you know, you need to go to the doctor, get that little frontal lobotomy, maybe a little snip snip so you don't reproduce ever again. Um and then, you know, we can find you a lovely new apartment uh, and to be in a lovely building with wonderful, pat, nice, soft, padded walls because that's Sweetums where you belong. But that is our little Margie. And, again, the music prelude, that was from the old show, My Little Margie, which was, you know, again, in the 50s. So there it is. My little Margie. Oh, what will she do this time? Oh, Margie, what have you done again? Okay, so, all righty. If you heard the advert for that, I know it was a bit funnier. We will get better at this, I promise. So, once again, this is our show for today. Uh, I'm wishing everybody a happy holiday, regardless of what religion or reli- that they've that they believe in or uh, if they don't have religion, that's fine too. Hmm. So, you know, final thoughts here. What's happening is we see a systematic attack on democracy itself, on democracy and equal rights for everyone that is being uh, sponsored by the Republican Party. It's also, however, being enabled by Democratic centrists that refuse to fight back. It's really that simple. The silence you hear coming from D.C. Every single Democrat should have been outraged by what happened in Tennessee to these two black representatives. Period. And yet you hear nothing. That's inexcusable. We are all in this together because make no mistake about it. This Republican Party has gone so far afield. They not only want to end democratic rule, they want to end equal rights. They want to do like the Christian nationalists, the dominionists want. They want a white Christian theocratic state where the only people that have rights are straight white Christian males, and everyone else is a slave. Make no mistake about it. And there is no room for fence-sitting anymore. You have to pick a side. You just do. You can't be neutral. Neutrality only helps the oppressor. If you won't make a decision, then you've made a decision to basically surrender to the bigots, racist neo-Confederates and neo-Nazis in our midst, which means you can't be trusted. That's it. The rest of us all have to band together. 
This is inexcusable. And here at Progressive News Network and the Environmental Justice Report, we will continue to call them out without fail. So on this Easter Sunday, which is also in the middle of Passover and Ramadan, I not only wish everybody a joyous and a blessed holiday season, but I'm challenging you to find your inner morality, your sense of inner justice. And I'm challenging you to push aside any fear or cowardice and stand up for and stand by our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. Make no mistake about it. With that, I say good night and bless us. Tune in again next week. That's it.